Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one bestseller, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of the medical merry-go-round? Are you looking for a potential solution to your health problem? Be sure and listen to our podcast, The Code Breaker. What is up on a Wednesday? I am Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Colin Brister. We appreciate you hanging out with us on this Wednesday, June 26th edition of the Rebel Report. Um, an interesting blend of stuff to get to today, I'd put it that way. Uh, we've got Ole Miss got another commitment from a wide receiver. Um, I believe that brings their commitment number to 20. Um, some College World Series stuff. Vanderbilt tied the series last night with Michigan as uh, Vanderbilt continues to be America's Cinderella story. Um, and then we'll just kind of see where it takes us. We're kind of in that summer months that we've talked about on pretty much every podcast where we come in with a couple of ideas and then just kind of see what happens. What's up, man? Not much. Not much. Is this like downtime for you? Like is, is, is free, as much free time as you get throughout the year? Yeah, but it's starting to get weird. Like, whenever I don't write a lot, like, I kind of start getting stir-crazy, and I know that sounds strange, but I haven't written anything. Like, I mean, I've written some, like, quick stuff to get up on the website when, like, smaller news comes up, but, like, I haven't written anything, like, in-depth in a long time, really, since baseball ended in that week, and so I'm starting to get a little, like, crazy. I'm, like, working on some, like, longer stuff. I'm having some, uh, I'm having some trouble getting in touch with some people for a couple of, uh, football-related stories I was kind of getting kind of had my eyes eyes on for this summer but yeah it's pretty much downtime like not a whole lot going on um i'm spending these vacation days while i can i'm going to la a week after uh sec media days to see a buddy that's living out there for the summer uh i'm taking this friday off to go to atlanta so basically just trying to catch you know like that uh it's like when your mom tells you you're about to leave at Chuck E. Cheese and you're like, shit, I gotta get rid of all these tokens so you just start playing games as fast as you can. That's pretty much what I'm doing with my vacation days. Wait, wait, are you saying you're leaving, real? What? No, but no, I'm leaving like Chuck, like, it's like, it's one of those things where you have to just spend them while you can, because once football season gets over, then like, I can't, I mean, once football season gets going, like, I can't, I can't really use these vacation days. So like... <laughs> Take off the uh, Saturday that Ole Miss goes to Memphis. Use that as a vacation. Yeah, exactly. See, that's what's kind of a. Uh, it's just kind of funny about this industry is like, yeah, you get three weeks vacation. Oh yeah, you have basically six weeks to spend it because you know once football gets going, it's kind of just off to the races. So trying to get all that done. Um, yeah, who knows? May take a trip to Hawaii and never come back. Come go off the grid. Um, who's to say? I might want to let somebody know. No, no. If I go off the grid, don't come looking for me. I'm happy. I found a beach somewhere. Um, but yeah, so that's what we got going on over the next couple of weeks. Um, so where will I get, where should we start? I guess we'll start with the football. Um, so Ole Miss gets a commitment from Chris Abram Drain, I believe is how you say that. I think I said that right. Uh, they don't give us phonetic things when we, um, when, uh, when we get commit, uh, when kids commit. So I think I got that right. Chris Abrams Drain, he's a four-star kid from, um, Spanish Fort Alabama, and from people I was talking to in recruiting, he's kind of an interesting prospect because he's 5'11", like 165. You figure he's going to put on a decent bit of weight once he gets to campus, as most of these kids do. I don't know. Some come more polished than others. But when I was talking to the dudes in recruiting, it was interesting because I was like, what is this kid? Because it's rare to see he was a four-star kid, but it's rare to see um, it's rare to see a kid get a four-star when he doesn't necessarily stand out physically, particularly at a place like wide receiver. And I'm not saying the kid's not like like big or physical enough it's just interesting 5'11", 165 nothing really jumps off the page so I was kind of trying to figure out what he is and 
kind of the vibe I got from guys was that he just he can do both, kind of like AJ Brown in terms of playing inside or outside. I'm not comparing him to AJ Brown at all. Please don't, please don't aggregate that and run with it. Um, <laughs> they're, they're very different players, very different body frames. Yeah, uh, you know, Mississippi podcast host says Ole Miss has the next AJ Brown. Like, oh, great. Have a Wednesday. Uh, no, not what I was saying, but I think they think he has the potential to play both inside and outside guy. Um, they just like him because he's kind of a ball hawk type guy. I know that's all the cliches. I got gamer a couple times. Um, I think they just like the kid's skill set, and they're interested to see what he can be. I don't think they nece- I don't even think they necessarily know what he can be yet, but I think they're interested to find out, and they just kind of like his the way he plays the game. So it's it's interesting. Yeah, no, I mean, there's a high three-star kid on Rivals and a four-star kid. At, uh, two Did he just lose a three-star, I mean, the four-star on Rivals or something? He was a four-star like a week ago, and then I looked maybe Monday when uh, Ashford committed because I saw his tweet and he was a, a really high three-star, but it had like the down arrows like by his name, so you could tell he had just recently gotten dropped. Okay, so not to go off on a tangent here, but I've been thinking about this lately. What is like... You know, people like to give the whole, like, stars don't matter argument, and then people are like, oh, hell yeah, they do look at, like, the rosters of teams that win national championships. Yeah. I think what's happening here is, obviously, the elite of the elite kids that are earned five stars or the high four stars borderline five, like, you know what they are. Getting those kids to campus matters. But is there any difference between a low end? Like, what's the difference? Like, like I feel like the, the, the definition between a four and a three is becoming more blurry and so that's why you're getting the stars don't matter stuff. Like, I feel like this is like Dan Mullen territory. Four, three-star kid, you don't really know. I think that's really when the evaluation comes in. Because, like, there was no evaluating Robert Kimdichie. Like, you, you, you knew you wanted him to play football for your school, and you were going to do whatever it took to make that happen. But do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, it, look, it's all subjective. I mean, Robles may write a, rate a kid that uh, that's a three star that you uh, may rate as you know one of the best players in the class that you really want in your program. And, and look, there's there's some factual evidence to show that you no know, stars do matter. Um, but I do think there's different levels of three star kids. Like I think everybody outside of you know just project kids is a three star. But I think that I think just gauging everyone as this kid's a three star kid, this kid's a three star kid, and they're the same. I don't think that's certainly fair. I think what to me the biggest difference is there's there's certain levels of three star kids that that kind of matter to you know how they're going to be in the future of your program. Sure, and like recruit like it's like it's like every other internet debate. It, it requires nuance, and nuance is not a place and is not a thing that thrives on the internet. But it's like. It's like in the in this debate, like stars don't matter, recruiting rankings don't matter, do they do matter? I think it's just gotten to the point where you need the high-end, high-end kids if you're going to compete at a high level in a major conference like the SEC. But once you get into the four, three-star range, like the kids that round out the middle to the back of your class, I really think that's where the talent evaluation comes in. It's like, what do you have? So when you're, you're ranking a whole class, I'm not necessarily sure that matters. Like... I almost feel like it, this is – here's a crazy th- one for you. ready for this? I think it should almost be like golf, like you're uh, – like a handicap thing because you handicap basically it just handicaps your best like five scores out of all, everything you turn in, and that's what your uh, handicap is. And like what if in like recruiting rankings you, they, it was just based off the top ten kids you got in the class? Top ten? Well, you know, Robles does top 20. Oh, so uh, they don't count the last five? No, no. Like the lowest – 
the top 20 kids is counted. I don't know how 247 does it. They do it the, kind of the same way. I think there's more of a formula. But Rivals, basically, yeah, they only count your top 20 kids. I kind of like that. Maybe you should go to, like, 15. But um, <laughs> I just feel like – because I, I, I saw a Q&A, and I, I don't want to misattribute it, but I, I think it was uh, – I think it was on the spirit, and I saw a Q and A with Siski where he was talking about uh, how he doesn't necessarily pay attention to that, like his stars and recruits off that. And like, I, I don't think he's being disingenuous, but I think that's more in reference to the kids we're talking about right now. Like, obviously, the top forty kids in an ESPN three hundred, top sixty kids ESPN three hundred, everyone's after everyone wants to get them on campus. You know what they are, but after that is really when kind of the evaluation comes in. Yeah, absolutely. And they're they're never going to recruit from you know arrivals or two four seven ranking. But in saying that, I mean, those rankings aren't you know just made up either. So there, there's some nuance, like you said, and, and it's not some, science, but it's not gibberish. No, 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 no. That's that's a really good way to put it. Yeah, it's a, so. I don't know, that just made me laugh because I thought you were about to say, yeah, they're not going to recruit the top 60 kids. Uh, like, it's never going to get that low. I was like, buddy, were you here for the Hugh Freeze era? Um, <laughs> so, that's all they recruited. That, that's literally all the offers they well, sent out. Easy, easy. Kids. It was offensive kids. They didn't need any defenders. <laughs> well, is, is that kind of like uh, Mike Bianco makes shortstop outfielders that, that Hugh Freeze can make wide receivers, linebackers? Uh, yeah, sure, but I like Mike Bianco's track record a little bit better than Hugh Freeze just <laughs> neglecting to get a linebacker on campus the last three years he was there. And you know what happens when that happens? Taylor Polk starts five games for you down the stretch in your last games at Ole Miss. Oh, boy. And I don't mean to pick on Taylor Polk. Kid played hard. Yeah, I like Taylor. He was, he was one of the best high school players I've ever seen, but yeah. Yeah, there's a college football player that someone like me identifies with. It's him. Scrappy Jim Brat. Um, so this is uh, I guess we'll kind of let this bleed into like a wide receiver. Like I don't want to call it positional preview because I'm not going to be like, hey, here's some content I'm going to throw in your face. We're going to break down every single position in June. But it is inter- the receiver group's an interesting group to me because you lose a ton. And obviously, with the three guys going to the NFL and Metcalf, Brown, and um, and Lodge. But I don't think they're going to be bad here. I think there's there's something left in the cupboard. I just don't know if these guys are proven. Like, Elijah, if the spring game was any indication, and I'm not going to base the spring game off of what the offense is going to look like. That's that's a pretty foolish exercise. But I think Elijah Moore had like eight or nine catches. He might have had more. Um, and he was a 36-catch receiver last year in the games he played in. 36 catches? 30, would... 36 for 398 yards and two scores. I knew he got, he got used more than was maybe a little bit like than you thought because there were some games that were either laughers one way or another or you just weren't really paying attention. But I wouldn't have like if you'd have been like, hey, how many how many catches did Elijah Moore have last year? I wouldn't have gone over twenty. <laughs> yeah, they used him uh, a decent bit out of the slot last year when games weren't competitive anymore, and he kind of you know had some big plays and showed some flashes. Obviously, was really good during the spring game this year, and, and he's going to be a guy that's uh, counted on immensely going into the season. Yeah, I think he's going to be a guy that's. Uh, I don't necessarily want to call it a crutch, but like with the uncertainty surrounding the offensive line and the way Richrod kind of likes to run offense, I think they're going to try to get the ball out of Matt Corral's hands very quickly and move the pocket and do some different things. Um, so I could see him being a very high volume guy, and obviously the spring game was reflective of that. But again, it's it, it's a spring game. Um, so I could see him being like a 9-10 catch-a-game guy 
out of the slot for them. I, I think he's actually going to need to be that. So let's set it over under in him. Well, let's go 90. Is he a 90 catch guy? I think it's I think it's right there. Like I think like I think I said 88 to 92 or so, and like, I kind of think it's right there at, at that mark. I mean, he's going to get a lot of quick passes because he's real, you know, athletic and, and quick twitch out of the slot there. And, uh, that's almost going to look to get the ball out of Matt Corral's pretty quickly, hands pretty quickly at times. So I think he's a guy that yeah could average you know maybe seven to eight catches a game. And I'll go under, but I, I wouldn't be shocked at all if he's at 94, 95. Yeah, because if you play if he plays all 12. Uh, quick math lesson. If he plays all 12, that's 96 catches. Um, yeah, yeah. And then, oh, they are. The program is allowed to go to a bowl game this year. Did you know that? I was I was made aware for the first time in four years or something they could go to a bowl game. Oh, and guess who gets a bowl gift if that happens? Your boy. Um, never been, <laughs> never covered a bowl game. Uh, Have you not? No, dude. I uh, so I, I in in fifteen I was doing football, but I was I covered like a game or two, and then did a lot of the yeah. practice stuff. I was still kind of getting my feet wet at the DM. Um, yeah, I covered the uh, Sugar Bowl, which was a mistake. Yeah, so my my first year as the primary football beat writer for any media outlet like DM, and it was the DM was uh, twenty sixteen. What a year to start, right? <laughs> I covered I think one football game in twenty fifteen, and they were like, "You want to go to the Sugar Bowl?" I was like, "Uh, yeah." Um. Yeah, so that uh, yeah, so that that'll be anyway. Point we got off track as as usual, but point being, if he plays all twelve games, I I think I'll go. I think I'm gonna change my answer on this. A little uh, inside baseball here. We started recording this, so we had some audio issues. So we've actually gone over this already. We're we're basically just rehashing. Um, as, it was a practice. Yeah, it tends to happen to us about once every two weeks. We just need a little practice run. Get the. Uh, <laughs> get the juices flowing. I'm actually going to change my answer. I originally went under. I think I'm going to go over. If he plays okay. all 12 games, I think he goes over 90 catches. I feel like I feel like if that happens, he plays 12 games and he goes over 90 catches, almost had a good year. Um, oh, yeah, 100% would agree with that. Um, but you get that bowl, bowl gift in Memphis. It's after him. Like, you know he's going to be a heavy contributor. He might return punts, too. Yeah. But it's after him where this gets interesting to me. Because you have a Demarcus Gregory, who's remember if you'll remember he tore his ACL his senior year of high school. Uh, there were rumblings about him maybe getting on the field and seeing some of his four games allowed last year. Um, unless I'm mistaken, that did not. I don't know that did not happen. Um, but he's a guy that's like six two in the two hundred pound range that you could kind of see on the outside. Dontario Drummond is a junior college kid that I think they really like. He's an East Mississippi kid. Six one, two oh five ish. Like, what does the outside receivers look like in your mind? Like, I think Braylon Sanders is going to play out there because he's kind of the veteran on this whole staff. I think he's going to be kind of the deep threat guy over the middle. But like, what does the rest of what does the rest of this look like? Like, you have some interesting pieces in Gregory, Miles Battle, six four two hundred. Like, there's some interesting bodies, some interesting frames. Um, but what does it look look like? Like Jaden Jackson, true freshman, does he contribute and where? Mingo. Yeah, I mean, like, like what is? I, I don't know. I'm just having trouble like seeing what this looks like. I think we're just gonna have to get to fall camp and kind of see what you know, kind of who separates themselves because it kind of feels like a guy, a bunch of guys that are all competing for playing time, and it kind of feels like there's a bunch of guys that are kind of on uh, level playing field. So it, it really it's hard to say what it's gonna look like before you see them out there in August. Because look, I think like a Elijah by or Elijah Moore is ahead of people, and, and so obviously Braylon Sanders. But kind of after that, it kind of feels like you know everybody's kind of on evil playing ground. You're going to have to go out and go earn it. 
Yeah, and you're going to see, obviously, you're going to see some Tylen Knight in the slot. He's going to do some, like, scat back type stuff. Um, he'll probably be lined up in the backfield. I don't think they'll run that poor kid between the tackles very much. Um, but, yeah, I'm really interested to see what this looks like. Because do you have, like, you're not going to have the the Phil Longo line it up and throw a deep ball and it cashes in, like, once out of, you know, every four times because of the physical freaks you have. But, like... What like where are they going to rank in the SEC among receiving corps? I don't think it's the bottom half. I think no, they're right no. in the middle. I think. Yeah. No. Well, I mean, look. Obviously, some of that's going to you know house corral the offensive line, but because those those receivers can look real bad real quick if both of those beats uh, struggle. Um, I don't know. We'll see. They, they, they've certainly got talented guys there. That's something they've never had a problem with is uh, recruiting wide receivers. Yeah. Don't you have to give Peeler some credit here? Um, in the sense that, like, yes, there's going to be a talent drop-off next year. I'm not about to, like, give you the whole, you know, next on first take, I'm going to tell you why Ole Miss will be better at wide receiver this year. Um, like, I'm not going down that route. But there's stuff, there's enough stuff there to where they're going to slip a couple steps, but I'm not sure if they're going to fall all the way down the staircase. No, they're going to be fine. And look, I mean, losing A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Marcus Lodge, you're going to fall back a little bit, but yes. Uh, Jason Peeler's done a great job with these young kids. He's, he's lauded as one of the better uh, wide receiver coaches in college football. So uh, they're, they're going to get probably the most out of their potential because he's really good at his job. So, yeah, I, I think they've got a chance to be, you know, I think they're maybe you know, top five, top six, you know, SEC wide receiver crew this year. They didn't come in with the noise as, as the these the last three guys that just graduated. Then I get that's because they aren't weren't as high as rated in the recruiting process, at least not all of them. But like, like I don't know. It's just it like that that receiver group that just graduated like had like a I don't want to say like personality of its own, but like you knew from like you knew who they were from day one. Like that was like that was probably the most hyped position group I've ever seen come through. Yeah, no, absolutely. It wasn't without Warren either. Yeah, no. I mean those those dudes. Uh, yeah, I mean it, I don't know. It just it it. it it mind-boggles me that Ole Miss was as bad as they were offensively at times with those three dudes on the field. How does that happen? <laughs> I know, we don't have to rehash this again, but how does that happen? Phil Longo. But uh, Mac Brown hired him. You know how many uh, yards he put up, bro? Dude, I'm so fascinated by North Carolina football. So am I. So am I. I really, I'm going to like, I, I was actually talking to someone this other day. I think I'm going to go out of my way to watch some of their games. Well, okay, first of all, can we pull up their schedule? Secondly, um, you know who their defensive coordinator is, right? Yeah, the dude that had like uh, his offense led the conference in time of posi- and led the country in time of position yeah. last year. He's and Navy's all- defensive coordinator. I forget the kid's name. The all- guy's all- name, excuse uh, me. Je- Jeff Bateman. I'm looking up Carolina's schedule right now. Yeah, we're gonna go through Carolina's win loss record. This is what you get on this. Po- I'm intrigued by it. Like, I, I I was talking to someone around football the, the around the football program the other day, and. We, like we, I wasn't. It was, we were just kind of talking, and I was like, "What, like what, what goes on in the room when you're like, this is our guy talking about North Carolina wanting to get Mac Brown wanting to get Longo? Like I, 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 I really, I'm trying not to be like, like facetious, sarcastic, whatever. But do you remember the story that came out where the bowl, Bowling Green fired their coach, and the AD was like, "Damn it, we're about to score points." So he literally Googled like high-powered offense and hired someone from Texas Tech. Do you remember this? Bobby, you've told me about it, yeah. 
Yeah. Like, I honestly, bold move by that guy. He was like, we're going to score points, damn it, and I don't really care how. So he literally Google searched and then hired, like, a position coach off the offense staff. Like, you know what? You want to be our offensive coordinator? Let's go. He might have been head coach. I don't remember. Um, But, like, I, to some degree, isn't that, isn't that what Mac Brown did? Because if you look past the basic yard numbers at all, how do you justify that? You don't. I mean, Philongo was terrible. Um, so, yeah, I, I have no clue. And so it, it, it's going to be interesting. I, I don't think North Carolina is going to be very good because, frankly, they don't have any talent because the NCAA investigation ripped them apart. I think Ole Miss has survived the NCAA stuff more than North Carolina did. And North Carolina didn't get hit. Oh, that's an interesting take. I don't necessarily disagree with it, but like that's when you throw it out there, it's like that's a bit spicy. Um, okay, you ready for this? This kind of this kind of sucks for uh, Mr. Longo. He's he's not going to have any uh, he's not going to have any Kent States or Southern Illinois coming out the gates. Uh, they open with South Carolina in Charlotte, L, L, Miami, L at home. Not Miami, Ohio. No, 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 Miami, the U. Dunk L at Wake. Mm, we'll give him a win. Wake sucks. Appalachian State at home. If Satterfield is still there, that could get which. Can you imagine Scott Satterfield's defense, like the type of defense he had at uh, Appalachian State going up against Phil Longo? Oh, I feel like that's a booby trap waiting to happen. Longo would score 11 points. We'll give him a win. Okay. Clemson? <laughs> I, I had to ask. It's on the schedule. Um, is, it, is it on the schedule? Do they have to play that game? At Georgia Tech, that'll be a rock fight. That'll be a win because Georgia Tech might go like 2-10. and Yeah, that's an Arkansas-type personnel turnover. Yeah. Uh, I kind of like what Jeff Collins is doing. No, he's a good coach, and they know they're going to be terrible this year. There's not much you can do about it. At Virginia Tech, go ahead and hold that L. So we've given them three wins so far, right? Yeah, we got got a three and four. Uh, uh, Duke. L. Uh, At home against Virginia. L. I don't really know anything about that. Virginia was like 8-4 last year, and Bronco Mendenhall is one of the better defensive coaches in the game. I'll take him. At Pitt. I don't know. Pitt won the division last year, but Ole Miss could have won that division last year. Um, Give him a win, whatever. Mercer. Win. At NC State. Lost. We're down 5-7. But, okay, here's the real question we should have been playing. Of their non-conference, South Carolina notwithstanding, which out of this group, Appalachian State, Mercer, what the hell? What's their fourth out-of-conference game? They Okay, I'm going to tell you what it is. They play a conference game that is a non-conference game. You see what I'm saying? I can't remember who it is. I what? cannot. Yeah, it's like, it's like Old Miss playing. Oh, it's Wake. Yeah, they, yeah, they play that as a non-conference game. Why? Because... They want to play Wake every year, and the ACC schedule doesn't allow for it. How? How? Where have I been on this? Yeah, it's, it, I thought maybe last year or some point that they did this. Okay, so that really thims, trims down our options. But your my my point here is, uh, which of Mercer and Appalachian State is going to score thirty five points on them because Longo either goes three and out too many times or scores too fast? Ooh, that'll be fun. Mercer, I think, runs the option, so. Longo's not going to have the ball long. I think I'm going to like Appalachian State. I think they'll put 30 on them. I think that's a 50-30 to 30 win. I, 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 I give you Appalachian State plus 8.5. You taking it? Probably not. I no, think it, like, 
if you gave it to me that at like halftime, probably. But like, I think it's one of those things where it's like third quarter. It's like, oh, look what Appalachian State's doing. Longo throws on a couple garbage time touchdowns to put on the recruiting graphics. He tweets at people, and uh, that's a twenty point win. You and Longo are boys. I actually liked Longo. I, uh, I I did. He was, and he was always good. Like he was nice. He was good to me. He just. It, Except for that time he didn't show up to do media at LSU. Was that him or McGriff? I thought it was Longo. I think you're right. I think you're right. It was Longo. I don't it, know. It, it was up. it was one thirty in the morning at that point. I was uh, feeling a bit you're psychotic. Trying to get the walk on. What? You were trying to get the walk on. No, I was trying to get to back to my hotel in one piece because I Ubered down there. And, like, you were talking about Ubers don't pick you up close to campus, to close to Tiger Stadium, so you have to walk, like, kind of out to, like, a post where Uber's going to pick you up. And then uh, Ubering in downtown-ish Baton Rouge at 3 o'clock in the morning, Buddy. it's a time. Buddy, let me let me tell you about uh, – did you Uber when we went to uh, Camping World Stadium in Orlando? Uh, no, Sudu drove us. Oof. We uh, Ubered back to the hotel. That was an experience. Uh, yeah, shout-out Sudu Uber. Day. I always I've known the guy for three years. I struggled with his last name. TV guy in Memphis, really awesome dude. We uh, covered that game together when he was at. I think he was with the Spirit at the time. I don't know why I was saying yeah. he was watching, but uh, he drove us. Yeah, no, that stadium was in the middle of the hood. Anyway, we've gone <laughs> off the rails. Do you have any more football thoughts, Dad? I'm interested to see what the receivers look like. Um, no, no. How many days away are we from football? Like 67 ish or so? Um, we have a countdown on the radio show, so I should actually know this, and I don't. Um, so tune into Sports Talk Mississippi to find out how many days until Ole Miss football season. Don't look at a calendar. Yeah, don't have to do that math yourself. Yeah, we uh, we will do that for you from three to six Monday through Friday. You can't find that kind of stuff elsewhere. Um, so so. Moving on, College World Series. It's one one, and I. This is Vandy and three, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. Unfortunately, it's not going to stop America from getting behind Michigan one last time, though. <laughs> Boy, if you had told Ole Miss fans a, a year ago, hey, you're going to root for Michigan to win a national title, that'd be a real mind pretzel. Well, so it was interesting. We were talking about this on the radio show on Monday before the first game, and. Like, Richard was looking at the Vegas odds, and then, every, like, Richard Haydad and Borky were, like, given the whole, do you give Michigan a chance, or is it Vandy and two? And I was like, look, Michigan could win game one, because, like, Drake Fellow is the, dev- isn't he kind of the social experiment, social study, whatever you want to call it, for why wins and losses don't matter with the pitcher? He's a four yes. ERA guy that was 13-1 and one going into that. And I think Rocker's record is, like, not good. It's like eleven and five, I think. Yeah, I mean, compared to fellows, yeah. Now, Rocker wasn't Rocker the entire year. If there's there's a couple pedestrian starts in as he's kind of getting his feet wet to college. Now, it's not like Zach Phillips pooping his pants, but like, <laughs> it's 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 that's kind of probably contributes to it some. But yeah, like they were like, I was like, look, like Drake. I was saying, I was like, look, I'll take Tommy Henry over Drake Fellows. Like the blueprint here is Michigan's gonna win game one. Rocker kind of gets him even then. Can you beat Vanderbilt twice, which is what no one's been able seemingly to do. Yeah. But I actually kind of liked Michigan's chances in the first game. Because well, Drake Phillips has been – his numbers are very average. He's a 1-3-5 whip guy. He's a 40, basically a 40-RA guy. He hasn't been great. No, he's not that great. I mean, he's a Friday night guy. I was kind of surprised that uh, they didn't throw, you know, Rocker game one. Um, but, you know, it worked out for them. But I do think – I think Michigan's coach played last night exactly right. I mean, you've got Chriswell and Kaufman both ready to go today. Both didn't throw a pitch last night. You kind of threw your B-rate guys. And, and look, it was going to be really tough to win that thing in two. So, um, you know, look, if you're Michigan, you got to buy this. 
if you had offered this to Michigan on Sunday, this exact situation, they would have 100% taken it. Yeah, because you're not beating them in two. Like, Rocker was winning that game last night, and boy, that kid is a star. Oof. I, I think he's got a chance to, to be as big of a star in college baseball as possible. I don't know how far that goes, but I, I think he's the uh, litmus test for it. Um, yeah, I would agree with that because he's 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 fun to watch pitch. He He's going to be 1-1 in two years. What do you mean? First round, first pick. Oh yeah, yeah, one, yeah. I would, I would agree with that. Um, and, he, and he's here for two more years. Yeah, he, uh, yeah, and it's interesting because he just blows it by you with two pitches. I was listening to Kyle Peterson on the broadcast talking about last night. He's like, look, if this kid is going to kind of be develop into a major league star, a third pitch has probably got to come, but he doesn't really need one right now. Well, that slaughter is so unhittable. It's right. unhittable. And he kind of like he shows emotion, but like not really at the same time. Um, well, he like he struck out a kid last night, and he like stomped his foot and yelled, "Let's go!" Like he wasn't yelling at the uh, opposing player. Not that I have anything wrong with that. Right, but then in like the biggest moments, he almost gives like the dead unconscious face. So he's kind of fun to watch. He's really fun to watch, honestly. So I would agree. I mean, like if you have like a star in college baseball, and he's a uh, he's got a cool name, and that tar- carries you a long way. Kind of like Zion. Yeah, exactly. If you have a cool name, like you, like you're, like you can write, like that's like an extra quarter tank of gas. Like you can write out your talents and ability, and then like you're gonna get another twenty five miles, couple more years, just because your name is cool. Is that what? Uh, is that how you're gonna name your son? Just give him a cool name? Yeah, I am. That way, there's like, hey, let's hire this kid. His name's Kumar. Like that's a sweet name. <laughs> you're not giving your uh, kid odds to play Division One baseball? No, I'm not. But, like, you know, corporate America just be like, oh, this kid's awesome. He's got a cool name. I'm telling you, cool name. Like, you remember people with cool names. When's the last, like, when's the last time you've been like, oh, yeah, Bill? That guy's awesome. But, like, Kumar, pretty sweet. <laughs> Zion Rippy. Yeah, Zion, too. But, like, obviously, if you are if you have the physical stature of Zion, uh, that probably helps, too. But, yeah, so this thing is going three. I'm assuming Vanderbilt's throwing Hickman. Uh, yes, Hickman and, and Kaufman. I mean, Michigan technically has their ace on the mound, and Vanderbilt has their three. Um, yeah, I, I just – this is the game. So, I, we were looking it up yesterday. Vanderbilt hasn't lost back-to-back baseball games since April 6th and 7th when Georgia took two out of three. Georgia, yeah. Um, and this has been it all year. Like, beating this team twice has been next to impossible. And what happens here, from what I've noticed in at least a little sample size that I've watched – is it's not necessarily like yeah, like they have a drop off when they get to their three, but this is the game where Vanderbilt bludgeons you offensively and scores ten runs, Isn't and they it, win eleven no, seven. But it's Michigan's ace. Like usually on the third game, you're not seeing the other team's ace. I agree. That's why I find this interesting. But I'm just saying, yeah. like general path, this is how this has gone when trying to beat Vandy twice. Right. And like they, poor Duke, they gave it a hell of an effort, and they had no pitching left. But I, I think Michigan's got a shot tonight. Look, no, I think it's probably. 65, 35 Vanderbilt. Uh, I don't have a thing with. It's the still going to take six, seven runs for Michigan, in my opinion. Yeah, the only thing is, is, is I don't disagree. Uh, Vanderbilt had to throw their closer forty pitches last night, and I do think that matters. That kid's good, Brown, Tyler yeah. Brown. He's got an incredible yeah. story too. Um, he's he's going to be their Friday night guy or Saturday, whatever they want to do a rocker. He'll be the he'll be in the rotation next year. Yeah, he's unbelievable. So, but is he? A, I mean, it's a national title game. I'm like, if they need him, I feel oh, like oh, he'll got pitch. It. Yeah, <laughs> he'll pitch. I don't know. It would be really like if so. Frame it this way: if 
that's so say Michigan wins and they pull off the upset. I don't necessarily think that's going to happen, but that's now four Omaha trips and one national title in 18 years for Tim Corbin. Yeah, no, let's be fair about it. They didn't start abusing this loophole until about '09 or so. Vandy wasn't Vandy until '09, huh? Yeah, well, I mean, they didn't really start abusing this until about '09, though, in my opinion. I think that's kind of where it started. It's kind of picked up some traction. Uh, you had the old yeah. curmudgeonly Nashville columnist basically tell people to stop whining about the scholarship thing and that Vanderbilt deserves to be there. It's the classic, like, hey, oh shut up, God. quit whining, uh, and then a fault, like, the, he misses the point entirely. It's like, hey, stop whining, they deserve to be there. Like, what dude, the no one is saying they don't deserve to be there. Did you see uh, Steve Smith, the pitching coach at Auburn's tweet? No, I have not seen this. He basically said, yeah, because... It was Corbin was like talking about having a bunch of diversity on his team, which which is good and all. Uh, but Steve Smith said, "Yeah, it's real easy." Essentially, this is paraphrasing. He said, "Yeah, it's real easy when you can give out need based scholarships to whoever you want." Yeah, I mean, if you throw ninety five with your left hand, you become a need in some ways. I do like how that's the uh, need based scholarship criteria. Throw ninety five. Yeah, and, like, I think the diversity and the minority stuff is awesome. Like, Eric Backage gave a really good answer on that. But I have a hard time taking Corbin, not seriously, but, like, like I have a hard time believing he's being 100% genuine when they do some of the other stuff they do with the need-based thing, I guess. Is that the right way to put it? No, yeah, that's completely fair. I don't think, man, I think Corbin's actually a pretty good dude. Um it's not it's, blaming it's not, them for taking advantage of it. I think no, more people are just upset that the advantage is there. But it, to me, okay, it's like, did people, like when the Yankees were paying everybody out of their mind in the early ni- or the early 2000s, the late 1990s, nobody liked the Yankees because they were just using, a, they had a, an advantage that nobody else had and they were using it and people that weren't Yankees fans couldn't stand them. It kind of feels like it's the same way with Vanderbilt. Yeah, but it's just, I think it's obviously part of the fact that it hasn't really been talked about. Like, if this were in college football, this would be, like, a huge story every time that whatever team it was took the field. But for whatever reason in college baseball, it's just kind of been, not swept under the rug, but it's, it's just kind of not under been, the rug. Well, it's, yeah, okay, that's fine. It just, really, though, it just hasn't been talked about. Yeah, uh, and look, Dan Wilkin on, on Twitter yesterday was great. He said that, uh... If everybody wanted 20 scholarships in college baseball, they could just give everybody 20 scholarships. Like, that, that's not how it works, boss. Yeah, that's not how it works at all. He said that? <laughs> yeah, he said that. Uh, he said if Division so. One team wanted to have 20 scholarships, they could have 20 scholarships. So I did, I did a podcast with Ben on Monday. Um, I always like doing it just because, like, it's usually a mailbag thing or whatever. Or we just start talking about different stuff. <laughs> we were talking about the LSU Our Lady of the Lake stuff. And it basically just once been basically like well I mentioned Wolkin's name in a like yeah, about something he's tweeted and it was like putting blood in the water for a shark. Ben <laughs> just turned it into a roast vest of Wolkin. It's like Wolkin like Wolkin and I have never had any like direct confrontation. And I I pointed this out. I guess we can transition to this because I want to want to dig into this a little more because I thought we did some good stuff on this on Monday. I have an inter- I feel like I have an interesting perspective on this Ole Miss NCAA and stuff. Because when it was at its peak, I was kind of in and out. Like, I, I, when it was really kind of gaining steam, I was just getting going at the student newspaper. And then I left for a couple internships. Like, the two most consequential summers for this entire investigation, I was gone, like, doing internships elsewhere. And so I keep popping back and forth in. And I say all that to say, like, 
I can kind of see both sides of it. But, like, at this rate, dude, like, walking is just... <laughs> I, I don't know what to do with that. No, he, he's got a grudge, right? Like, this... Don't tell me yeah, don't like, I'm not, like, hey, like, me, media conspiracy guy, he has a grudge against us, but I don't really know what else to call it with at this point. I, I mean, mean, it's, 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 I mean, it's kind of embarrassing, to be completely honest. Like, he's talking about not having enough time to formulate a take. It's like, dude, you're USA Today's national columnist. What are you call talking somebody. about? <laughs> like, call, call a person. I don't know. Talk to somebody. You had plenty of sources when, uh. You were down here at Oxford walking around the square trying to interview people. Well, that's that's him getting spoon-fed from Thomas Mars, but that's neither here nor there. It's just, yeah, I don't know. It's just the, the coverage. Thomas Mars, legal secretary, Dan Wilkin. But it doesn't feel like they're, like, even, like, it, it's, I'm not doing the this hasn't been covered guy because they're national people writing about it. They're local people writing about it. But it doesn't feel like it has, like, the, like, it doesn't feel like the bomb dropped and you're looking around just mesmerized by the damage of what it did. Like, that doesn't feel like that's the case here. And I don't really know why because it's a massive scandal. Let me ask you this, and I kind of thought it was interesting. Somebody asked me this the other day. Do you, because look, Ole Miss fans are obviously, and I don't, I don't necessarily blame them. Um, they're like, well, the NCAA hammered us. What are they going to do to LSU? Do you think Ole Miss would have any? This um, Ole Miss fans would have this amount of vitriol if this was Kansas rather than LSU. Um, probably not quite, but I still think they'd be pretty I'm, keyed up. I'm with you there. I think it. I don't think this being LSU has much to do with it. Like, I, I don't think the rivalry aspect is, is why Ole Miss fans are upset and will you know blood with with LSU. I think this would. If this was UCLA, they'd kind of have the same amount of vitriol. Yeah, and it's the same. We had Stephen Godfrey. Like, I just have trouble. Like, I think Ole Miss people's anger is often misguided because because we had Stephen Godfrey on yesterday on the radio show. And, like, look, he he's about as well-versed in NCAA process as anyone. And he's like, look. He, I mean, he made a joke out of it. He was really funny. He's like, look, I'm starting my own on my own NCAA consulting firm. And what, how it works is you call me and I say, hey – Tell the NCA to screw off and lawyer up, shut it down, don't tell them anything, and you pay me $5,000. <laughs> That's really the only way to deal with it, and Ole Miss didn't do that at the beginning. I mean, he basically he made a good point, and I was kind of on this on Monday. Ole Miss showed the in the beginning, if you take the first part of the first chunk of the pie in the investigation, their first early years, Ole Miss showed the blueprint about how not to handle an NCA investigation. Just give them everything? Cooperate at all. Like the, the the playbook's out here. You shut it down. But what's interesting about this LSU thing is is on both fronts with the basketball and the football to agree, they're gonna have like like the actual like you know like law enforcement and government doing some of the legwork for them. That's why I wonder what you do, LSU, because it's really easy to say, "Oh, I tell them to screw off." Well, if they've got literal documents and wiretaps showing that like you did it. Do you want to, like, piss them off and get in even more trouble? Oh, you definitely – the only option is to tell them to screw off. You don't You don't cower to them. You can't do that. Yeah, I just don't know what it's going to help. I mean, they've got you. Sure, but I don't think it's going to – I mean, it's worth a shot. It's worth a Hail Mary. Like, it, it's much better – like, if you cower to them, that – I mean, Ole Miss is living proof that that doesn't help. Yeah, no, I mean, it's not going to – like, what are they going to do? Give you the death penalty instead of giving you a five, five-year bowl ban or something? Yeah, and then, like, I, I, it's it's not even, like, a moral high ground thing, but, like, I just, and I'm not one that, like, gets, like, swayed by, like, oh, this is, like, this, like, I, I kind of understand what a cesspool college athletics is, but even reading this, I was like, man, this is just really sad. <laughs> yeah. 
stealing money from a no hospital where it's supposed to go to a kid for cancer. Well, that, it's even more nuanced than that. They weren't just like, it wasn't as simple as them taking money. They're using that as a vehicle for a tax break. Exactly. And I wonder, okay, hear me out. Obviously, the fumes guy gets in trouble. Are these people that are donating this money knowing what's happening, are they going to get in trouble? I'm just interested to see if he's the only. I have a hard time believing he's the only head to roll here. Like, I, I don't. I, I've said this on hey. Ben's thing the other day. I think they're just scratching the surface with this. Because yeah, if, no, like, I, they, if you have a get, Al lineman getting $180,000 and they used a hospital to kind of help with, like, donations for. Well, where do you. What else do you think happened? Like, use your imagination for a minute. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't I mean, know if they'll of, necessarily find or uncover all of that or any yeah. of it, but like I'm, I will be curious to find out is how deep this hole goes and yeah. if this guy's the only head to roll. I don't think he's the only head to roll, but I'm not sure how deep this goes. It's kind of the thing like what the, legal, the legal system where it's like that's all we can prove. Like they, they probably got a ton more that they can't prove. But again, I hate to be repetitive and talk about like the, sim- the kind of the same thing that we talked about on Wednesday. But again, what happens? Like you have to hammer them, do you not? Like what? What? What is the NCA? Like I'm looking. Like, I, I'm having trouble processing all this because I'm looking, and this is a whole other story. But I'm having trouble. I'm looking at this, and I'm looking at Mark Emmert writing a letter to the NCA schools in California saying if this law passes to where you can uh, student athletes can make money off their name and likeness that they'll be barred from NCA stuff and basically the California schools are like piss off dude like don't tell us how to govern our state <laughs> is this I'm not like calling for like I feel like I'm going to be the I, I'm not going to be the crazy guy that stands up on the rock and screams that it's Armageddon but what does the NCA look like if these schools and these FBI things and LSU doesn't get hammered and then you have this whole like Mark Emmert failing to strong arm the California government off the name and likeness thing like, what is what does the NCA look like in three years? Well, I mean, the same. Like, I, I don't ever think anything's going to happen in the NCAA. They're going to be a corrupt Why? Why not at a certain point? Like, if there's California schools, like, piss off. Like, we don't need this. Like, well, like I know okay. the NCAA is trying to but, – but there's more nuance to this, and we're throwing around a million different things at once. But Mark Emmert's thing was like, hey, we're working on making this happen in 2022, 23. You'll have to wait on us. And they're like, screw you, dude. Like, this is California, like, actual law. We don't have to wait on anything. But, like, if teams are, I mean, if schools are getting more and more emboldened by it, and then schools are regularly skating by locking it down and giving kind of the double birds to the NCAA, what does it look like in five years? I mean, I think you're trying to say, like, is is somebody going to secede and, and, you know, go play football on their own or something? I I mean, I've got to see that before. uh, Why wouldn't it happen, though? I mean, but if we're going to go full crazier, why wouldn't that happen? Hey, like, we, we, Richard's brought this up on the radio show a couple times, and, and Hey Dad's always like, oh, that'll never happen because it'll upset the Apple cart. It's like, you could potentially make more money by doing that because okay, the money doesn't are, go to the NCAA. Well, you've got to have a lot of folks do it at once because once the, let's just it's, throw it it's, Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's the tech, you have to have, like, Texas yeah. and a bunch of pillar schools do it at one time. But. If it because, continues at this rate, I don't think it's as crazy as people think. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, and I don't know, like, the legality and, and the intricacies of, of the legality uh, within all that if you're, you know, locked into a contract with the NCAA or how that works. But I don't know. I think I think we're in fascinating times with uh, the NCAA for sure. Yeah, that's probably the best way to frame it because I don't think there's ever been a time in the history of college athletics where you've had – I hate calling it scandal because scandal makes it sound like there's a bunch of victims here. Like, yeah, there is in the LSU thing, but most of the time it's just kids getting paid. But there's scandal after scandal and NCAA case after NCAA case. 
and now you're getting the federal government involved. There's an FBI probe. Like, there's never been this much stuff going on at once. And it feels like if there was ever going, like, I feel like if I was looking back at this 25 years from now, and I'd be like, like, if you're pointing to where, hey, when the NCAA dissolved or when the NCAA changed form about how it looks or how powerful it is, wouldn't this be the time in history? Because you've never really seen anything like this. No, I think you're exactly right. Um, I mean, I'm kind of echo everything you say there. So, like, I think the next five years are going to be fascinating. Of course, I could look back in five years, not that I'm going to listen to this very podcast in five years. That'd be kind of weird. But, like, like I could look, very well look back at this and be like, oh, it's business as usual. Nothing happened. I just feel like if there's going to be some kind of fundamental change in how we do this in college athletics, and I don't know if that's players getting paid, I don't know if that's the NCAA, I don't think the NCAA will ever actually dissolve, or if that's the NCAA just not looking like it once did. I just think the time is in the next five years. Like, if there's going to be a change in how we do things, I think it's probably going to be in the next half decade. Decade? Yeah, yeah that, feels, that feels about right for a time span. Um, what else we got? That's about it. That's about it. Not much. I mean, it's the doldrums of summer. We're about done with college athletics until football season. Yeah, I kind of want to get, like, not a ton of NBA stuff's happened. That's really, I feel like, going to heat up. I feel like we'll get into a bunch of that on Friday because free agency officially starts Sunday, but obviously free agency really started in June. Um, There's not a whole lot going on. The Celtics kind of lost everyone. They lost Al Horford. Um Hate to see it. Yeah, they lost Kyrie Irving to the uh, presumably the Nets. What does Kevin Durant do? Uh, sounded more and more like Kawhi Leonard might stay in Toronto. Uh, yeah, that's what it sounded like. Yeah, it's basically between them and the Clippers. And I think there's a world where Kawhi could sign a, a one and one. See, so Bill Simmons brought up an interesting point on something I was listening to the other night. So I think what happens to Kevin Durant matters with Kawhi Leonard in the sense that. Kevin Durant did this, like, one-in-one thing with Golden State, right, where one with the player option where you can opt in, and and he suffers this gruesome injury in the finals, which this injury is literally the worst thing that can happen to a basketball player. Like, the worst thing that can happen to basketball other than, like, death is, like, rupturing your Achilles. But if Kevin Durant gets the max money, like, if teams are like, I don't care about the Achilles, we think he's going to come back stronger than ever in 2021 or whatever, and he gets the full five-year max... Then what would be stopping Kawhi from just signing a one one and one with Toronto and being like, I'll see how it looks in 2020? Because like he could play it under a year and then opt out and be like, I could be the biggest free agent there is in 2020. But at the same time, if teams are scared off and Durant doesn't get a max, why would you risk that from an injury perspective? If that makes sense? Yeah, no, that's that's certainly a good point to see. You know, kind of what the market thinks about Durant and, and his injury um, compared to you know what you could do. I think there's enough desperate suitors where Durant's getting the full five-year max. Whether it's Oklahoma State being like, hey, we feel bad, we kind of screwed you, here's like your security blanket we'll build around you, or it's the Knicks just desperately trying to get someone in a uniform that will... Wait, you think he could go back to OKC? Oh, did I say OKC? I meant Golden State. Oh, you said Oklahoma State. Oh, oh, my bad. Oh, God. Uh, no, Golden State. I think there, there's a chance, there's a world where like, hey, we feel like we kind of maybe screwed you with this injury, misdiagnosed it. You know, here's here's kind of repaying for that essentially. Um, I think the Knicks will probably give it to. Him. I think there's too many desperate suitors. Is my point to where he doesn't get it even with that injury. Um, and then what's fascinating about the NBA is like there's guys and this this 
free agent summer is so out of control with high-profile guys is there's guys like Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris that could completely alter what a team is perceived as like if you put Tobias Harris on Denver that's a team that could 100% win the West and make the finals if you put Jimmy Butler on the Rockets that's a team that could 100% win the West of the finals if you put an Al Horford on like the Clippers or him as like the veteran presence on the Pelicans, that's a team that could make some noise. So like you you have these guys that aren't even the guy, the stories that are talked about that could literally like change the face of the league. Like no one is talking about Jimmy Butler or Tobias Harris's free agency, but that could literally change the course of the entire league. Yeah, I mean, you know, you have Butler that's got a chance to go to Houston, and, and you know, there's a lot of guys that like Kemble Walker you mentioned, and, and just kind of not B-rate guys, but, you know, lower than Kawhi and, and Durant, those type guys that are kind of, going to, you know, like you said, tell the story of how next year goes. Yeah, Kim is kind of fascinating, too, because I've been reading a bunch of stuff that thinks that Dallas thinks they can get him. So you're putting Luka Doncic, um, you're putting Porzingis, and you're putting Kimba as kind of the big three there. That would be, I don't know how that would work or if it would, but that would be kind of awesome to watch. Yeah, yeah, that'd be a backcourt, not a backcourt. Yeah, I guess it would be a backcourt of uh, guys that, that can really play. Yeah, so, I don't know. I'm kind of fascinated by it. I've become basically just full-on intoxicated by the NBA. Like, I've basically just been pouring that stuff neat into a cup for a while now. Um, as I said earlier on this podcast, I'm now buying League Pass. Um, so, we'll see how that goes. Can you imagine me during October sitting down and watching a bunch of NBA games? I might just start live blogging about it. There you go. There you go. Just, just set up a Facebook Live. Um, so, we'll be back out on Friday. Friday is everyone's favorite day of the week. It is Mailbag Friday. Um, so... <laughs> Send us your questions. Uh, email me, tweet me. If you have my number, text me. Send whatever kind of questions you want. Uh, this if, you is again. Don't have Brian, if you don't have Brian's number, I'll tweet it out. Yeah, please tweet out my number and let anyone in the world tweet me. That would be great. Um, but, yeah, this is when we let you drive the show. Of course, buckle up. Don't drink and drive. But drink and send questions if you want to. So We might. We might do the same and answer them. Yeah, who knows? Who's to say? Uh, so we'll be back at it on Friday. Uh, like and subscribe to the podcast. Our numbers are doing great. You're holding firm for us in the summer, which is good, uh, basically for our self-esteem and for our boss. So that's that's pretty solid on two fronts there. So thank you for listening. Tell your friends about it. Uh, uh, tell them how cool we are and listen to us talk is so great for, you know, 50 minutes, three days a week. Uh, but like and subscribe to the podcast. Um, email me, tweet me, text me, just feedback in general. Um, I'd like to hear from you and where you're listening from. I'm still fascinated by this eight or nine person group we have in Cleveland, Ohio that's listening to us. I'd like to know who you are. Obviously, um, Baker Mayfield. Yeah, probably. Probably. That's probably, this is probably blaring in the Browns locker room. Um, more likely not sup OBJ. Um, and then we have a couple of we every time I click on like the stats, there's a couple in India. I don't know if that's like an internet bot or kind of one of those things. But if you're listening to this podcast in India, um, we'd like to have you on. I'd like to have a beer with you actually. But we, <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast in India, uh, what's up, man? Like, tell us why. We we might could get you a shirt or something. Though, yeah, right? or I'd like to actually talk to you about a number of different things, like between like tigers and stuff, to why you found this podcast. Anyway. Um, Thank you for listening. Uh, send us your questions for Colin Brister. I am Brian Scott Rippey, and we will be back at it on Friday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.